All of us have people in our lives that when we are around them, life is better, fuller, or uh, our discouragements are less, we're, we're frustrated less, uh, we feel like we sort of breathe life in more deeply when we have a conversation with them. Our, our stress seems to lift, and, and, and it gets replaced with, with um, joy, encouragement, kind of a lightheartedness. And the, and the great things about being with that type of person is it lasts longer than just that one conversation. It tends to linger for an hour or two or days. We, we think about the time that we spent with them. We think about what we laughed about. We think about what we talked about, what advice they gave us, advice we gave them, what we'd say differently next time. There are people who just feed our souls. They, they make us feel stronger and better and happier and as if life makes sense again. Probably, if you have one of those people in your life, you tend to prioritize your time with them. Like, it's on your calendar. You make sure you call them. You make sure you set up some time with them because it is so good for you. And for some of you, that person or some of those people are in this room. And if that's you, if you have a person like that in this room, just kind of casually look over, make eye contact, nod your head, point your finger, say, yo, that's you, that's you. Yeah, they're those people, they're wonderful people. We like those people in our lives. At the same time, there are people that we spend time with and they suck the life out. Like they drain every cell in our body of all of its energy. Every emotion that we have gets depressed and discouraged just by being around them. The thought of having to have a conversation with them, a meeting with them, even sending an email to them because we're already anticipating the life-sucking response they're going to send to just an email. It can, it can make us sick, right? Some of you are thinking of a person right now. You can see their face. You can hear their voice. And your blood pressure is slowly beginning to elevate. Just thinking about them. Your breathing has become erratic. You need a Xanax right now. Because they do that to you. And just like people who encourage us, people who discourage us, it doesn't just last for that conversation, does it? Maybe more so than our encouragers, we think about that interaction for hours, days, sometimes weeks anticipating the next time we're going to have to see that person or talk to that person. Now, here's the strange thing about relational vampires. Most of them don't know they are that person. Have you noticed this? Legend has that vampires can't see themselves in a mirror. This is the way relational vampires are. They don't know they actually are that person that drains everybody. They don't know they are the person that sucks the life out of everybody that they're around. Now, occasionally they will say, well, I know I can be difficult sometimes. 
I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea. And the rest of us want to say, oh, it's way more than that. It's way, way more than that. But you don't say that because you, you, fear, you fear they will suck your soul out of your body because that's the type of person that they are. You just think it. And for some of you, that person is in this room. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> they can sense your fear. I'm just kidding. None of those people are in this room. Not in this room. Maybe watching online. Not in this room. Just kidding online, but just kidding. Right? They're not in here, but you have those people in your life. Like out there somewhere, there are those people. There's this strange, frustrating dichotomy that... People can be so wonderful and so encouraging and they add so much to our life and at the same time people can be absolutely draining now here's the thing for for those of us that that are out of high school out of college maybe one of the problems we face when it comes to friendships and relationships is it seems that Friendships get more complicated the older you get. Have you noticed this? Is it, you feel the same way? It, it just gets a little more complicated. When you're four, five, and six, friendships are easy. Right? You color, I color. We're friends. You like goldfish, I like goldfish. We're friends. Jello, friends. It's easy. But it's different when you're 35. And 45 and 55, 65. It, it's a different dynamic and, and, and seems to be a little more complicated the older we get. If you're fans of the show Friends from the 90s and early 2000s, maybe you'll like this uh, statement I found a while back. Somebody said the most unrealistic aspect of the show Friends was that people in their 30s had time to have close relationships with five other people. Right? That's the most unbelievable part of the whole thing is that people in their 30s actually still had these close, tight relationships. Maybe so. Maybe so, because the older we get, it just, it just it gets more complicated. And there are reasons for that. Right? I think one of the reasons is life is more complicated the older you get. Life is more than goldfish and coloring, right, as you become an adult. Life just gets more complicated. It gets more difficult to navigate and challenge. Right? You have a job. You have bills to, play, to pay. You have obligations. You have kids. You're tired, right? You have all of these dynamics that make friendships more challenging the older, uh, the older that you get. It's just a reality that, that as we get older, things tend to get a little bit more difficult. Or maybe you're at the stage we're at. Our kids have graduated, and they're either in college or, or out of college. But by the time you make it to that stage, you're out of practice making friends, right? It's like, I don't even remember how to do this anymore. Like your life has been absorbed by your kids for so long, and you're kind of out of practice making friends. Life is more complicated. And, and then I would say another factor is that the process for making friends is more complicated the older you get. I kind of alluded to that just a little bit, but the whole process of getting the thing going. Again, when you were in school, even, even as a high schooler, uh, you went to the same place eight hours a day, five days a week with the same people. Now, you saw them all the time. Monday through Friday, you were with the same people for an extended amount of time, 
And so that facilitated an environment of friendships. Your extracurricular activities were the same. You went to the same ball games. You went to the same dances. Even, and we didn't admit this in high school, but there was always that part of us at the end of summer that was ready to go back so we could be back with our friends. Like, it, it, it was kind of a streamlined process. Life kind of presented you with friends, and then when you get older, it, it doesn't work exactly that way. Maybe you work with the same people five days a week, eight hours a day, but you don't want to be friends with all of them probably. Right? Maybe you join a social club. Hopefully you go to church. And so there are people, but you have to take some initiative. Like you and I have to be responsible with some portion of that in a way that we didn't have to be responsible before. The, the process is more complicated, right? There's online dating. Maybe we need online friending. I, I don't know if that will work or not. I think another thing that complicates friendships as you're older, I was thinking about this week, um, I think sometimes we're slow to make friends because maybe there's some part of us that thinks, well, I'm this old, like I'll never catch a new friend up on everything that I've done in my life. Like it, Some of you... You're still friends with somebody you, you went to high school with, or you're still friends with somebody you went to elementary school with, maybe. Maybe you uh, grew up and stayed in the same community, and so you still have close attachments to people who know you. They've known you since you were 10. Now, you don't have to catch them up on anything, but if you move to a new community, if you go to a new church, there's that whole dynamic of, like, where do we start? How do I catch people up? And, and is it worth it if, like, we're never going to really know everything about each other? That's, that's a bit of a challenge, a bit of a barrier. Two quick things, if that's you, if you're kind of in that realm. Here's one thing I would say is the way to have a friendship with someone who really knows you is to start. Right? All of your friendships started somewhere. The way to have a, a friendship, a deep, encouraging, abiding friendship and relationship with someone, is to start. Like begin somewhere. Let it get started and, and see where it goes. And then the second thing I would say, realize they don't have to know all about you week one. That's just for a couple of you here. Right? Realize like, you don't have to work through all of your life story at Starbucks the first time you meet this person. Like, you could ease them in. Ease, save something for later. You don't have to dump everything right at the beginning, but it's just, it's just more complicated. Here's something else that I think make, makes friendships more complicated in the time when we live. And that is, we have so many, so many ways to have pseudo-friends. Like sort of friends, almost friends. We call them friends, but they're not friends. We live in a time when it's possible to have these pseudo-friends, sort of like a relationship, but it's not a real relationship. The obvious one is social media, right? That online, internet relationships, they are what they are, but as far as a deep, abiding, lasting friendship relationship, they aren't the same. You can be social media friends with a real friend, but being a social media friend doesn't necessarily make you a real friend. We have all of these options for pseudo-friendships. Um, I'm sometimes intrigued at the way people talk about celebrities, well-known figures, 
political figures, public figures. I'm often intrigued at the way people talk about them online because I think some people think they're real friends with that person. Have you noticed this in the way people talk about them? Um, or they think, if we, man, if we ever met, we are just alike. Like We see everything the same. The dude's a billionaire. You are not just alike. You are, they are not like you. You may think they're like you. You may want them to be like you. This is the age we live in. We live in this online, connected, know something about everybody. And if we aren't careful, those sort of pseudo-friendships will keep us from engaging in real friendships. We'll get satisfied with that casual touch, that casual interaction online and we will miss out on the gift that friendship is to us. Or the, hey, how are you doing, pseudo-friendship that we have, right? You go to the office five days a week, and when you walk in, you say, hey, how are you doing? And the other person says, fine, good, yeah. And then they say, how are you doing? And you say, good fine and you do that every day 52 weeks a year hey how are you doing good fine how are you good fine right and that's being friendly and being friendly is a wonderful thing but being friendly is not the same as being friends and friendly sometimes is this pseudo friendship that we substitute for real connection real relationship you should be friendly you should be kind you should be compassionate but being friendly to a lot of people is not the same as having a real connected friendship with a few people it's not it's not the same like this is this is a big one for me right i, I don't know if you've thought about it but part of my job is to be friendly right it's usually a good thing if the pastor's friendly people tend to like it that way all right and i'm not always the best at it like sometimes i'm not good at it but part of my job, my responsibility, is to make sure I'm friendly to people. Um, but that isn't the same as truly connecting with another person. We should be friendly. We should be kind. We should be compassionate. But I think in the world that we live in, we tend to stop short of actually committing, initiating, engaging in real relationships. Right? Now, that's not to, again, that's not to say that friendly is unimportant, kind is unimportant, compassionate is unimportant, unimportant. You should be all of that. One of the things we learned coming out of the pandemic and coming out of the lockdown was just how significant what we might call secondary relationships are. That perhaps one of the reasons there was so much mental struggle, mental health struggles on the backside of all of that was because we weren't having those casual interactions day to day. The person that you always saw when you went to the grocery store, right? You don't vacation with them. They may not know your kids' names. Uh, you don't invite them over for Christmas or for dinner, but you see them every time you go to the store, and you say hi, and they say hi, right? The waiter or the waitress that you always see at your favorite restaurant, those sort of interactions turned out to be really important to our mental health. But those relationships aren't the same as a deep, abiding, encouraging friendship that you can count on. Now, why is any of this important? 
And why is it important on Sunday morning? Some of you are asking that. Why is this a topic for church on Sunday morning? Why is this a spiritual topic? Great question, great question. It is a spiritual topic because God says this is really important. God says this is really important. Again and again in the scriptures, this word friend shows up. From the very beginning, God warns us about the dangers of isolation. Matter of fact, that's the first warning we get. The first warning in the story of the Bible is about isolation. God creates everything, and he says it's good. Everything's good. It's all good. Trees are good. Whales are good. Birds are good. Stars are good. It's all good. The first time God says something is not good, he's talking about isolation. That's the first not good we get in the Bible. The first time. And, and sin hasn't entered into the Bible. Just chronologically, let's just keep it in mind. Sin has not entered. There's nothing bad that's happened. Nobody's disobeyed God. And yet we get a not good from God. And it's to the issue of being relationally isolated. Right? Adam was alone. And God said, not good. Not good. Doesn't have anything to do with sin. Not good. Did not create you to be alone. Created you to be in relationship. And we are the same. All of these years later, we are the same. We carry the, the burdens and the brokenness of sin. All of that is true. Relationships carry the burdens and the brokenness and the dysfunctions of sin. But still, even to this day, it's not good for us to be Alone, And then as we read the scriptures, we, we, we read some of the consequences of being alone. David's most public, well-known sin. He sins against Bathsheba, ends up murdering her husband. It start, that whole story starts with David was alone. Now, it doesn't say that specifically. It says everybody else had gone to fight the battles. Everybody else had gone to fight the war. David stayed home, and the hallways were quiet. And there was nobody to question him, and there was nobody to say no to him. And in his heart, in his isolation, the biggest, most public sin of his life starts to take shape all throughout the Bible. We get this message. It is not good to be isolated. And it's not just sort of that, that big opportunity for sin. When we are isolated relationally, <clears throat> We tend to become more negative, more cynical. Our perspective begins to shift to everything that's wrong. We become dissatisfied. Right? Years ago, I read a book, and, and sort of the thesis of the book was, the human mind left to itself without any thought, without not fixating on anything, the human mind will always move to discontent. Always move to what I'm not satisfied what, I, what I'm not happy with, right? that's, that's typical of our mind. And when we don't have people in our lives, when we aren't in relationship with other people, our mind just starts flowing that way, and we become dissatisfied, we become critical, we become cynical. Some of you have seen it. And friends, some of you have seen it in older parents, right? Their life got really small, they got really isolated, and everything was terrible, right? Everything 
Everything was terrible. This is why God, at the very beginning of the story, says, this is not good. But then throughout the story of the Bible, he shows us what is good. He shows us the good of relationship. For example, Solomon, Ecclesiastes 4. Solomon says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Solomon says, you should feel sorry for the person trying to manage life without friends. We should feel sorry for the person trying to carry the load of life all by themselves. Pity that person. Feel sorry for that person. Have some compassion for that person because they weren't created to do that. Two are better than one. And then he goes on, and some of you know kind of where things go from there. And he basically says three is even better. Two is better than one. A cord of three strands is not easily broken, which I think was Solomon's way of saying, hey, the more you got, the better it's going to be. Like the more people that you have in your life, the stronger you're going to be. This is a good gift from God. He said it all throughout Scripture. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So the proverb writer is really honest. There's some people who are terrible friends. Watch it. Stay away from them. There's some people who are really bad at this. Don't, don't have a relationship with them, but know on the other extreme, there are people who will stick with you through everything. You need those people in your life is what he's saying. You need those people. There are people who are bad at it. But wow, to have somebody who would stay with you through thick and thin, to, to have a human, will God be with you? Of course. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, of course. They're with you all the time. But God says, no, I want you to have a, a, a flesh and blood person in your life. This is so good. You need this. This is a gift from God. Proverbs 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. There it is again. God reminding us, this is so good. This is so good. Someone who loves you at all times, somebody who knows you, they know you're not perfect. They don't put you on a pedestal. They don't, they don't think you're God. They just love you at all times, especially in the difficult times. They're there with you again, again, again. We see this emphasis on how good human relationships are. Second Chronicles and James, Abraham is called a friend of God. A friend of God. That's the terminology that's used. He's a friend of God. Was he a servant of God? Yeah, he was a servant of God. Was he obedient to God? Mm, most of the time. Well, was he faithful to God? Most of the time. We look at his faith. It counted his righteousness. This is a wonderful message to us. But then he's also called a friend of God. We sing a song sometimes where we sing, I am a friend of God. That's where that comes from. That's biblical. I'm a friend of God. If you grew up in like a traditional church and you sang hymns, you sang what a friend we have in Jesus. Right? This is the language that we use because it's important to God that we understand not just our friendship with him, but the goodness of what he wants to give us. Jesus comes along. And he models this sort of relationship with other people, right? We are told of people that Jesus deeply loved as his friends. Mary, Martha, Lazarus come to mind. He would go to their house. 
He would have dinner with them. They were his friends, the disciples. Jesus spends three years of his life with these guys. They were his friends. As a matter of fact, at the end of his life, Jesus calls them friends. Jesus doesn't want them to miss this. So he says, John 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Jesus said, look, guys, look. I I want you to know that I, I call you my friend call you my friend i've told you everything that my father told me i've let you know everything not all at once kind of over time kind of downloaded all of that to you so you would know so so you would experience this i want you to know the term i use for you because we have been together all this time the term i use for you is friend and that's rich that is that is wonderful this is god's gift to us this is god's this is god's gift so we're, we're starting this series on relational vampires, and I want us to look in the mirror first. Right? I want us to look in the mirror first. Vampires can't see themselves in the mirror, but we're not vampires, right? right? If you are, we'd like to know that, but I don't think we are. I don't think we are. So, so we're going to take just a minute, and I know some of you are disappointed because you saw the series advertised, and your thought was, oh, I want to talk about them, right? I want us to really get them, and we're going to get them. Don't worry. We're going to, we're going to say bad things about them in the coming weeks. Come back, but before we talk about them, I, I want to talk to you about a relational vampire that, that I have to own, that I think we have to own. In light of all of this goodness that God's trying to give us through other humans, through, through friends, we have, to, we have to own the relational vampire of apathy when it comes to friendships. And apathy may not be the perfect word. What I mean is just that unwillingness to engage, that disinterested, that disengaged, that standoffishness. Uh, the willingness to settle for pseudo-friendships instead of diving deep into real connected Friendships, what may be sucking the life out of us, very likely could be, I'm just not initiating. I'm not stepping into what God says he wants to give me. And I get it. Friendships are challenging. We are disengaged or apathetic or disinterested for thousands of different reasons perhaps and some of them are true some of us have been hurt some of us have seen the bad side of trying to have these relationships i get it but god has said well there's some really good things that could happen in your life if you will connect with another human being in a friendship if you if you'll stop settling for pseudo relationships and you will step into real friendships and I know, and sorry to bring this up again, I know the past couple of years have made this challenging. I know that probably for the rest of our life, every election year is going to make this challenging, right? It just is. But it's worth it. God has said it's worth it. It is not good 
for you to be isolated. It is not good. You've got to bring your life up against somebody else. You've got to have people in your life that you journey with, you walk with. We love to quote the Proverbs 17 verse that says, iron sharpens iron. Like, we love that one, men's groups and, and other relational groups. Like, we love that. Iron sharpens iron. Woohoo! Here's the thing about iron sharpening iron. It has to be together for that to happen. It has to touch one another. It has to rub up against each other for a considerable amount of time for iron to sharpen iron, for, for somebody's life to impact yours in a beautiful way they got to be together for a considerable amount of time there's got to be a level of commitment there's got to be a level of engagement and here's what i observe about people today when it comes to this here's what i observe that that sometimes keeps that from happening people today tend to be slow to initiate and quick to disengage slow to initiate a relationship but very quick to disengage. We wait and we wait for the perfect time. Is this the right time? Is this the right place? Is that the right person? We wait and wait. We're hesitant. We kind of stick our toe in, but we're hesitant. We're slow to initiate that sort of relationship, but the first time there's the slightest thing that goes wrong, we ghost somebody. Like we disengage so quickly. We cut people off, right? Like for some of us, that's our superpower right there, right? Like, my superpower is I can cut you out of my life, right? People today, we, en we engage very slowly. We disengage very quickly. And because of that, we never get to the level of deep relationship that God wants for us. Because of that, we're, we're carrying our own burdens through life. A friend sent me an interview this week with a, a Christian counselor, and the topic started out as what is causing all the burnout that we're seeing? What's causing all the fatigue that we're seeing? And this counselor's response was, I, I think more and more people are experiencing burnout and fatigue because they're trying to live their life alone when God created us to share each other's burdens. God created us to to carry each other's weight. And so this burnout, this fatigue, a lot of reasons, I'm not saying this is the only reason, but one of the reasons perhaps is because we're all trying to do it ourselves. We don't have anybody else that's encouraging us. We're not pouring our life into somebody or receiving from somebody else. And so, yes, we're tired. Yes, we're fatigued. Yes, we're burned out because we're trying to do it alone and in trying to do it alone we are missing what solomon said that two are better than one god said at the very beginning look it's 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 not good for you to be alone it's not good are there toxic people we use those phrases like toxins toxic unhealthy dysfunctional Psycho, like we have all these words that we call those people. Are there toxic people that you probably need to move out of your life? Probably, probably. That's a discussion we're going to have towards the end of this series. We're, we're going to have that discussion. But there are people you need in your life too. There are people you need in your life. God said so, not me. God said so. You need this sort of relationship. 
Are people difficult? Yes. I'm one of them. I'm difficult sometimes, right? Stop smiling. You're difficult too. Yeah, we're, we all have our measure of difficult. Every single person. If you're looking for the person that's not difficult to be friends with, you're going to be alone your whole life. We, we've all got that little measure of difficult in us. But, but God has so clearly said, look, when, if you're both seeking after me, if Jesus is at work in both of you, ah, there's, there's some beautiful things that can happen in a friendship. Like when... When somebody loves at all times, when two are better than one, there's some beautiful things. And my challenge today, and I know we want to get to them, we want to talk about them. My challenge today is if I'm standing in the way of this in my life, right? If, if, if I'm the emotional vampire here because I'm not willing to initiate, what do I need to do to change that? That's my question to you. If you're the one that's standing in the way of all the beauty and strength and encouragement that God wants to give you in a friendship, how do you change that? How can you do something different so that God would give you this good gift that he wants to give? Father, it's a, a difficult time to navigate relationships. We, we keep blaming things on the past couple of years, but they've been hard, and there's been lots of arguing and whew, lots of tension. But friendship, friendship is still a good gift that comes from you. What you said at the beginning of the creation story that it's not good to be alone, that still applies in 2022. It is not good to try to live our life isolated, carry our own burdens, navigate our own challenges. You gave us each other. You gave us faces to look into and hands to hold and necks to hug. Help us not to miss out on the good gift that you're trying to give us. Give us the sincerity to look in the mirror and ask the question, where am I standing in the way of this? Where am I preventing this from happening in my life? And, and to lay those things down, to, to change, to seek the goodness that you want us to have. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.